how many of you have started the habit that's become popular as the new year begins of having like your word for the year? You see it if you're on Facebook. People say, this is my word. Now, my word is declutter. I'm looking at Anger. She's up, somebody's clapping. She's like, okay, is she really going to do it? Declutter her, her, really my life, you know, my basement, my closets, my soul, the whole thing. For us as a church, I think I'd go and say two words could be our two words for the year, and it would be generous God. As we begun this year, preaching on the, looking, opening up the scriptures, looking at the generous God, I hope that you're beginning to get a taste and reminder of who God is. And I think that it can just be a foundation for whatever comes our way in this year, that we are looking to God as the generous God that loves us and pours into us. For the last three weeks, we have, in fact, been looking at God's written word that has pointed us to the boundless generosity that he has, that he's poured into us in the past, today, and for all eternity. Grace given and grace promised. We've been reminded in the preaching of the word of what it means to bring forward the first fruits as an offering to God. We've been reminded of the opportunity to trust him to provide for us now as well as in the future. And we know that the restoration project is in full swing. The kingdom of God is here now. God's people living in God's place under God's rule. That's the kingdom. And in God's kingdom, we experience his incredible generosity to us, his loving kindness, his faithfulness, his mercy, his grace. They never, ever change. That's who he is. And as Christ followers, we bear that same image of a generous God. It has been imprinted into us, all of who we are. As his sons and daughters, the same generosity, it's in our DNA now as his adopted children. It flows through our veins. We know that grace has been given, and we look forward to the grace promised. But let me also tell you why looking at the generosity of God is hard for the one preaching, just as it is hard for the one listening. It's hard for the preacher because these words are not ones that we're just passing on to you that, as a helpful hint on how to live your life. They are words that bear into us as well. As I look at the generous God, I recognize my own tendency to worry, my own anxiety. I'm very aware of the moments when my fists are clenched and I'm not willing or ready to release what God has given to me into the, into the lives of others. I'm standing before and under the same authority of the word of God that you are. I'm saying all this to say that we're in this together. Over the past few weeks, we've heard from some of you that you feel that the pastors just don't understand your finances. And you're right. We don't know your finances specifically. But we do know and we share the same struggle and the challenge to our hearts as to where our treasure is that you experience as well. No matter what we reveal, no matter what we proclaim about generous God and all it entails, what some of you will continue to hear is simply this. Give more, give more, give more. It's like the guy talking to the dog in the cartoon. Rusty, you're the best dog ever. Rusty, I'm so glad that you're in my life, that I get to take care of you. Rusty, do you want to go to Todd's Point and play? Rusty, all the dog hears is Rusty. Rusty. Rusty doesn't hear all the good things that the master is saying to him. There's another reason that in challenge of preaching on God's generosity. 
The topic itself can lend itself to, to fit with phrases that seem pat and fit really well on a bumper sticker. You can't outgive God. Well, you can't, but it just sounds so trivial. It doesn't really mean anything out of context. God loves a cheerful giver. Well, he does, and that is actually words right from Scripture. It's Paul writing in his second letter to the Corinthians. But on its own, it just sounds shallow and even guilt-inducing. The Greek meaning of the word cheerful means so much more than what our understanding of the language is. It doesn't mean just somebody just kind of smiling happily. No, in Greek, the word means hilarious. It means joyful. It means a little bit over the top. It means really excited. There's got to be a way that we can be joyful, cheerful, hilarious givers that is genuine. Not giving out of guilt and not giving out of feeling manipulated to do so. The passage that has been read to us today from Paul's letter to the Philippians shows us in real tangible ways what it means to do just that. Paul reveals what it means to be a disciple of a generous God. The God who loves his children beyond measure. The God who is trustworthy. The God who owns a cattle on a thousand hills. And as we look at the passage together, we're going to see three things. That we are called to much more than just giving. Our generosity is fueled by being content in Christ. And our generosity isn't just practical, it's our worship. So if you have your Bibles with you or want to grab the one in front of you, you might want to open it so you can just follow as we move through these words today. Paul is writing to the Philippians from a jail cell, and he's in jail for preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. If you're familiar with the letter of Philippians, you'll know that the previous words really indicate a wonderful, affectionate relationship that Paul had with these believers. What's really clear is that you see that Paul and the believers at Philippi, they both knew something really, really important that directed their lives more than anything else. And what they knew is what you and I tend to forget. They lived with the belief right in front of them that the good news of the gospel is big, it's bold, it's life-changing, it's world-changing, and it is changing the entire cosmos. When Paul became a disciple of Jesus, his life was flipped right side up. And through his ministry with the Philippians, their life was flipped upside down, correct, right side up as well. They knew full well that once they had been enemies of God. They knew it. They had been outsiders. And now he had brought them in. They knew that it all started with God sending his son to die for them so they could become his son's and his daughters. And they knew that God did not just tolerate them, but rather he had made them co-heirs with Jesus of everything in the kingdom of God. And it was because of their deep, their intimate relationship with the living God, they knew him personally. They experienced it, that he was good, that he was kind, and that he was abundantly generous, which meant that they in turn could be good, they could be kind, they could be abundantly generous. Look at verse 11. I love that where Paul, you, just, you can see the relationship he has with them. He says this. He's recognizing their concern that they had for him. But he writes strange words. Now remember, he's writing them from prison. And he's saying, you know, I have no need. 
How in the world is that possible? Because he's really saying even more than that. It's not that he has no need in that particular moment. He's saying, I've never been in need. Never. And then he tells the church why. Because I have learned the secret, and here it is. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, those few words there are perhaps some of the most misquoted and misunderstood words that we find in Scripture. We see it all the time. We see it on T-shirts. We see it on sweatshirts. You go to Pinterest, you just type in, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, and you get all the cool graphic pictures with the cool fonts. People, we love those words. We love those words. We whisper them when we're going into important business meetings. If you're a student, you're trying to remember the words correctly as you're getting ready to take a test, particularly when you didn't study for it. When your parents and you have spent the day with sick kids, you're trying to remind each other, we can do this, we can do this, we can do all things because God is strengthening us. We've made it a catch-all verse where we kind of fist pump the air and declare that God promises that he's going to give us the power to do absolutely anything I want. But that's not what it's about. It's not about stretching and strengthening and having just spiritual determination. No, what he's really saying in that, in the whole context, he's saying it simply that you are rich in Christ. You are rich in Christ. If you don't have a penny to your name, you can be content. If you have more resources than you ever imagined possible, you can be content. And Paul is assuring the Philippians, he's saying, you know, I am okay. I'm sitting in a jail cell all night, and I'm okay. Yes, there have been times when I've really been in need, but I was okay. Yes, there was times where I had abundance, and I enjoyed meals with you, and all my just taking care of in abundance, and I was really okay. Because I have learned to be content. Did you hear that important word there? He's learned to be content, no matter the circumstances. Paul's commitment is not just a holy resignation to whatever happens will happen. No, no, no. It was a clear understanding of who God is and who Paul is as his follower. It is so easy. It is so easy for you and me to have amnesia when it comes to our identity, isn't it? We forget who we are, and we forget whose we are. It's so easy to forget who we are in Christ and what we have been given, been given by God. And when we do forget, we end up allowing ourselves to go shopping horizontally for what we've been given vertically, and it looks like this. We spend our time, we spend our resources searching and seeking for things to satisfy the cravings we have for security, for comfort, for love, for acceptance, for value, for approval and rep reputation. When we shop horizontally for these things, we pay a high price. They're never on sale. Be and they never deliver as the advertisers promise. They simply do not because they simply cannot. Instead, they turn out to be a cheap substitute for what our hearts long for the most. Is it possible... Is it possible that we have already been given vertically a perfect and full generous gift? One that surpasses all others and fully satisfies our hungry hearts. Paul says that we have indeed received that gift. And he puts it this way in his letter to the church at Rome. 
he writes this. He said, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The truth is that you are not going to find contentment anywhere or any, or any place through anything other than in Jesus Christ and him alone. And if that doesn't make sense to you, if you can't begin to think that that could even be possible, then I invite you to step back, give yourself time and space, find somebody that you can trust to come alongside you to help you see how to exchange your unending and your frustrating search for contentment with the unchanging, the unshakable, eternal commitment that is found only in Jesus. Have you learned the secret of what Paul is talking about? That no matter what happens, whether it's in the economy, whether it's in the political future, whether it's anything that might happen in your family today or this week, do you hold it all lightly in view of what God has done for you in not sparing his son? If you haven't learned it or don't want to learn it, then any conversation or encouragement towards generosity will be offensive to you and guilt-producing, rather than seen as an invitation into a life that reflects the abundant goodness of our generous God. Further on in the passage, you can pick up, you can see it clearly, there's a reciprocal care and partnership that is going on between um, Paul and the Philippians. Remember, this is a church that Paul planted. He equipped the elders. He helped them understand what it means to live in the kingdom of God. And now he's writing to them in a deeply personal way. Verse 14. I love that. Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. He's sitting in prison. It was kind of you to share in my trouble. And now in verse 16, and and we see that it was not a one-time partnership. It was one of an ongoing engagement with Paul and his mission to the Gentiles. Paul says, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once, and then you did it again. There's only one church in the New Testament that has been called generous, and it's this one. The Philippian church gave generosity a whole new meaning. Their financial gift to Paul expressed their steadfast commitment to him and the ministry and the kingdom of God. It was a testimony, testimony to their own hope and their confidence that God meets the needs of his people. And I think one of the reasons that Paul could sit there in jail and say that I'm content was that he knew he was not alone. In that space, he knew that God himself was present with him by the Holy Spirit. And he also knew that beyond the walls of that jail, there was a church. There were people who cared for him and supported him and no doubt were praying for for him. They stood by Paul in word and deed, and Paul responded to them with deep gratitude and appreciation for them. And then Paul shows how the kingdom of God turns things upside down. He says that he's not seeking the gift from them. Rather, he's really much more excited by the benefit that would be accrued to them for their generosity. I'm glad you gave that to me because of what it means to you. It is the reward that will come to you because of the gift you have made. Why? Because the Philippians were investing in eternity. An investment now with a benefit later. When Jesus was on the side of the mountain speaking to the hundreds, if not thousands of people who wanted to hear him teach, he was speaking the words that we call the Sermon on the Mount. 
And in those words, he's describing what it means to be a disciple. And here's what Jesus said about giving. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put in your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Jesus is saying that the amount you give will determine the amount you will get back. And when you take all that represents your security, everything that you put your hope in, everything that's familiar to you, and on whatever level you offer it up to God for the sake of his kingdom, you will receive much more in eternity. But it's so hard for you and I to see past the immediate, isn't it? Common wisdom says that if you don't have it, you won't give it. Jesus says, if you don't give it away, you won't have it to keep. But then keep going. Verse 18 moves into a whole new thing where he's just thanking them. And they had it been words that were so encouraging for the Philippians to hear. He says, the gifts that you sent are pleasing to God. The whole notion of giving God pleasure should have just stirred their hearts. When we give in this way, it's a fragrant offering, just like in the Old Testament, where the animals were sacrificed, but when they were presented, there was also incense and just this beautiful smell that was sent up in worship to God to please him. It's possible to be generous, but the offering that the Philippians made was not just generosity at work, but rather it was a sacrifice, and it had made an impact on all their lives. It impacted Paul. It was impacting them as they gave. But it was really impacting those that the, the, the resources were allowing the ministry to go forward, where, where the Gentiles were hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what made the partnership with the Philippians so rich and satisfying. It was a fragrant offering that came from sacrifice. And then when Paul reminds them of the real reason that they are able to give generously and to sacrifice is that God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So what, now what? It's one and the same today. The Philippians had discovered a really good deal. God had given them an opportunity to be all in with the kingdom of God. That's why they could give joyfully. That's why they could be excited about the ministry that they were a part of. They discovered that they did not need to be afraid. They did not need to live with a sense of scarcity. They didn't need to worry. Because as Paul's partners in the kingdom of God, they could give with confidence and they could do it generously. And they knew that God was all in for them. They had invested themselves 100% in what God was doing. And in return, they got to experience 100% of the joy, the freedom, and the peace that goes with it in the here and now. They would not have to wait for it. That's not just a good deal. That's not just a good investment. That's a sure thing. God is inviting you and me to be a part of this enterprise called the kingdom of God that is advancing all over the world, all around us, at all times, and it will not be stopped. And if you don't see that, if you don't have that perspective on the generous God and the advancing of the gospel, then you will look at God as if he's a homeless person on the corner asking for your leftover change to put in his crumpled cup. Does God need us? Of course not. But he's giving us, just as he did the Philippians, an invitation, a chance to be part of the kingdom of God now. 
securing and building a spiritual treasure in heaven for us to enjoy for all eternity. If you want purpose, if you want to live with hope and anticipation, no matter what your circumstances may be, if you want to experience the goodness of God right now, then partner with God as he advances his kingdom. Following Jesus and being generous is a wildly exciting, wildly satisfying adventure. Hear these words of Jesus. You're here to be light, church. Bring out the God colors in the world. I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up to God, the generous Father we have in heaven. Grace given now and grace promised for all eternity. Thanks be to God.